This 100th episode of Super Pulp Science is brought to you by the Polar Comic Con, December 30th at the Zoo Lights Festival at Assiniboine Park Zoo. Come see Chasing Artwork and GMB Kamichuk. Come and get free comics and see polar bears at the Zoo Lights Festival. <laughs> Attention, citizens, it's time for Super Pulp Science. This is the 100th episode of Super Pulp Science, where we talk about how a genre gets made. I am here with my long-suffering co-host, Justin Curry, also known online as Chasing Artwork, and our super producer, Dan Fadabonker. Super Pulp Producer. Super Pulp Producer. Uh, my name is Gregory Kamichek. If you're joining us for our 100th episode, what we usually do is talk about how we do this job of writing and illustrating stories, um, how we make a living at it, what are some of the foibles, some of the pitfalls, and some of the successes that you can have in a job like this. And what we did for our 100th episode was we reached out to our social media and to our podcast listeners and said, what are some questions that you would like answered in our 100th episode? Basically saying, what are some essential things that we haven't bothered to talk about in 100 episodes? And could we, in fact, cover something of substance? Or we might have very much answered a lot of these in other episodes, but there's now 100 hours of us blithering on yeah so. don't do that don't listen to all those <laughs> just we'll sum up for you yeah it's a good way to do it recap i would like to uh, start with um so i really we really appreciate on super pulp science people who review or leave comments on the uh podcast apps here is my favorite one uh of our hundred episodes episodes <clears throat> Five-star review. Thank you so much. Nice. Iron Buddha. It says, the pinnacle of excellence. As a scientist who specializes in the amalgamation and reinforcement of wood pulp into environmentally sustainable children's furniture, I can, without a doubt, heartily endorse this clever and insightful podcast. It is well-produced and highly entertaining, even though it is about funny books and the creative process in general, and not, in fact, about the reclamation and reuse of timber industry waste <laughs> material. I would love if that's how the person found us. They genuinely thought this was a podcast about super pulp. <laughs> a so, new type of pulp that's super. So, Iron Buddha, I know where you're at, and I know what you're up to, and I greatly appreciate your comments. So, thank you so much. Um why don't we go so justin between the two of us i think it's important to say that you are the one that is internet famous it's still not that you said that famous. like every episode right pretty much okay yeah. well but this is a new episode for some people okay. and because justin's internet famous he has a lot more questions from his instagram than i got when i reached out so why don't we take it to your instagram and ask some of those you've got some good warm-up questions you said from all there. right all right ready we're ready What's next Gundam print you're going to do? <laughs> what is the next Gundam print you're going to do? Um, I'm working on a dilapidated, rusted Gundam in a Paradise Oasis, and which is great timing right now because it is so cold in Winnipeg that drawing palm trees and, like, little waterfalls and, like, sunny beaches is pretty uh, therapeutic. Next question. Next question. All right, rapid fire. Anytime you may do some... 
Anytime you may do some crossover works like Gundam plus X-Men. Ooh. Oh. You've done stuff like that in the past. Yeah, You've why don't you do mashups more? Well, you used to do I, more. I used to do. Yeah, I did mashups for like a good like year. I just did mashups. And then I think I moved on to other things. And I'll go back when I'm like ready to again. So I think the deep down in this question is, Justin, why have you forgotten your roots? <laughs> I'll go back. Yeah. Why? All it's right. a good suggestion. X-Men, you haven't, you haven't done, you've done a Batman... <laughs> What have you done? You've done yeah, Batman the one? Avengers. I've done a bunch of Batman characters. I did the Ninja Turtles. Um, oh, Pokemon! You did a Pokemon. Pokemon, right? yeah. yeah, over there. Uh, a whole bunch of robotic redesigns. Um, it almost feels like backtreading. Like I've done that part of my artistic journey, and so it was good to move on to other things. So I'm excited to go back with kind of my new skill set. I think. Well, and I've yeah. I've watched over the last little while you get. R- more interested in producing sort of fully fleshed out environments things that take like 40 to 50 hours instead of like eight to ten hours and then combining that like your new cat fork piece was a combination of all your shattered robot bits plus this new environment builds and the gundam oasis piece is very much like that as well like but more an environment you're growing as a person i like to think so i think a robot uh, wolverine would be really cool yes and that has been on the list for a while all right, well, this one's for both of us. What's your favorite artwork? Oh, that's so impossible to properly answer. Yeah, it's a very broad question. If yeah. you had to pick one artist that you're... St- Stuck on a desert island, you yeah, have one, one, pa- one painting or one piece of art to bring with you, what would it be? Oh, that's too... So the problem with that is I immediately unpack the fact that if I then had only to stare at that, I would start to hate it. Yeah. <laughs> right. So it's like what you're really asking me okay, you're stuck is on a what desert thing island you love would you week. like to hate in a year? That's what you're really asking me. You're only stuck on that island for a week. For a week? Yeah. What do I bring with me for a week? Well, right now I'd bring a stack of Jack Kirby original um, pieces. Like what yes. I mean is like an artist edition so that I could see the corrections along the way. I've... Um, the last year been super duper influenced by Jack Kirby, like ephemera. Yeah. Um, I always have been, I mean, you know, I owned a comic store in my misspent youth and I'm, you know, you can't make comics if you don't understand what Jack Kirby's contribution to popular culture is, but in particular, the complete bombastic, unrestrained, no publisher attached Jack Kirby illustrations is what I've been looking at lately, and they just blow my mind. Nice. Yeah. How about you? That's uh, Bill Watterson, Calvin and Hobbes. Oh, oh so good. Yeah. So good. I love. I follow a Close Twitter second. Twitter account that tweets out, um, um, you know, just a comic random comic strip, or maybe yeah. it has something to do with it the day. But I uh, love it. Love that. Love that art for sure. This one's kind of topical, given the news lately. Do you like contemporary art? There was a fairly widespread story that came out of, I believe it was in Spain. There was a banana duct tape to a wall. Guys, we fell for it. Don't do it. $120,000. No, it's a scam. (laughs) You guys, it's so we'll talk about that art show. That's what that is. And then the performance artist that came in and ate it, that was all, it's rigged, man. But see, that's why I hate contemporary art because it's all just just BS. the glam show it's just what makes you feel something right is, yeah. isn't anger isn't well, <laughs> that's that's an emotion like isn't art supposed to make you feel something is that the goal it's a good point it's a good so, point super dan my reply was 
I'm not going to lie. I hate the majority of contemporary art I'm exposed to. Anything that's good because you're told it's good immediately puts me off. I, I have to give you that. That if I'm someone says you have to like this, it's Like good. it's done by somebody who's really good and or it's really amazing f- and you go in there and you don't get mm. it, then... Okay, and there's a difference, I think, between good and famous. There's a lot of people yes, who will say you should like this because art, everyone knows this artist. In contemporary art, the more famous you are, the better you are. Isn't that kind of how it works? It's, it's, it's yeah. a, isn't it more about how much money? Like, wasn't somebody paying $300,000 for that banana? Nobody was paying that. No, nobody. Okay. <laughs> All right. Gentlemen, <laughs> gentlemen, you've been suckered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And your rage about that is exactly what is they it the want. I was angry about it. I would have, I would, I mean, I would have been hungry too, you know. There was a similar story a couple years ago. It was like the staff came in to clean up in a gallery and they threw out one of the exhibits because it was a trash can that was overflowing like society is overflowing with trash and the maid just thought like that's garbage so we should get that out of here and so they took the exhibit away what about the um there was one with banksy where he built a shredder into the frame oh my god that was that one yeah Yeah. it was last year i think and so the immediately as soon as the, it, was, it was Banksy, right? Yeah. yeah. And once the auction closed for I don't know how many hundreds shredding, of yeah. And then it was worth more because it got shredded. Yeah. It was so, so funny. Yeah. I love it. It's awesome. All right. So what's at the heart of that question is what we value and why. And I think if you are a person making art, if your art comes from a place of integrity, like you have a real reason to make it, that is not simply to push the buttons of your <laughs> constituents. I think uh, just keep doing what you're doing. But if mm. you're hoping for the next oh big splash in media, right? You're gonna need to hire a PR person. Ray's like the Bono of PR. <laughs> Actually, I think Bono is the Bono of PR, but uh, I do try. Describe your art style. My art style is a Venn diagram where 30s pulp. 40s propaganda and 60s style guides all overlap. That's good. You you must have said that before. At some point. Sounds no, rehearsed. It just occurred to me. Yeah. <laughs> Slightly rehearsed. What about yours? Um, it is called Shattered Vector Painting, and it is the combination of graph design training and traditional illustration skill sets. When they come together, it makes this broken glass shattered look. That's very cool. Um, this is a question we do get asked a fair amount at shows so justin and i both have you know what you could argue is patter when it comes to answering that question but it's actually it's as close to how long does it take you to make a piece oh i will punch you in the face Uh, (laughs) we get that question yeah how long does it take you to make a piece what they're really saying when you ask how long will it take you to make a piece dan is um please justify why i don't make art by telling me it takes a long time Oh, okay. That's what I think is at the heart of it. Well, like, isn't it the also, question is based also, in insecurity. It's about the value of the piece, right? Like, why should I pay $20 for this piece yep. if it only took you an hour to do it? Yeah. Like kind of thing, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. Um, okay, we're getting to important stuff now. Okay, we're going deep. Go. I got shower or bathtub? Oh, daily shower. <laughs> I like a weekend bath. A weekend bath. Yeah. All right. Well, what about you? Uh Baths are rare, so they're like a big occasion. So there's usually bubble bath and um, <laughs> glass of wine or and, and glass ba- of scotch. You just talked about bath bombs. And ba- yeah, uh, on the weekend, I know 
I don't think the nephews will listen to this, but I got my nephews bath bomb, like Pokemon looking. They look like Pokeballs. Yeah. They're bath bombs. And inside is a little plastic Pokemon figure. And it's a mystery what's in there. So you they each it. get a different one. So make bath bombs. My kids, my kids also love bath bombs. I'll say that. Like my, my youngest just has a great time watching that thing dissolve. So it's a, uh, yeah, that's a good idea. I'm going to have to get some of those as well. I have a question for you, Justin. Cute. First off, how dare you? Secondly, <laughs> what gives you the right? I assume this person is asking about making art in general. How dare you how think dare you? that you can do this as a job? And what gives you the right to make art for your living? I think that's why you start like humble and like kind of low key. And the confidence should come with time. If you break into the scene with too much confidence... Well, we were talking recently to a game developer uh, who, oh, how do I say this? They were talking about how the sudden million seller game developers all turn into a-holes because they think they're geniuses, not realizing that the component of luck that went into their thing hitting big. And so they get too big for their... Right, Mm. their britches, yeah, and then their egos overtake their capacity to realize whether or not their idea is any good anymore. Mm. So, that's interesting. So, watch out. I'm watching this from across the room, your Mm. corner of the room here. Try to blow up. Try to stay humble. Try to stay humble. You do get punched in the face every day. It's true. That helps. Um, Can people who have art experience apply for a job at Chasing Artworks? Yes. Not yet. Not right now. Yes. You should apply. <laughs> Send your emails constantly to Justin. Actually, yeah. It, we don't have a position open at the moment. However, um, we keep the resume around and when the time comes. We often hire people for, well, lately we've been hiring uh, help at the studio for like four or five days at a time. You know, when we get into really crunch time, we'll bring in somebody. But this is not glamorous work that we bring people in. It's like the, it's the nuts and bolts of in how the studio works. In other cities as well, if we had some kind of correspondence with people like, say, in Seattle or Chicago or New York, um, we could give them a pass for the show, um, give them a bit of work to do, but for the most part... Yeah, we do need... Yeah, that's a good point you make. Yeah. In Calgary, in Toronto, in uh, Seattle, in New York City, in we have, San Diego. If you're, one of, if you're listening from any of these cities, find us uh, and reach out to us. And we need a runner usually. Usually, yeah. Like kind of coffees and food. Like it's not glamorous work, but there's a lot of... There's so many moving parts of those shows that having somebody to run errands for us it like goes a long long way and what you I can would get, happily exchange yeah. that for a pass and what you can get for that is show. access to the show unrestricted access to the show for the whole show to do a couple like you and know, not just yeah 12 hours of work for us it's not just a normal pass it's a vendor pass so no lines yeah you're just so if you don't want to wait in line yeah. in any of those cities and you're willing to help wait in line for us <laughs> for other things then uh, you we'll guys you, you guys said you'd, you're gonna uh hire me to do that for you in san diego yes. san diego you're yeah. gonna come so yeah I'm, I'm calling that one and edmonton i've got my guy so yeah oh, um, yeah yeah shout but, out to, but, but shout I out think to brody probably what this person is talking about is getting a job working here in the studio with you so what you say it's not glamorous work what is it and what's the value in the person for doing that work okay well there's two things i would say about that that's great Thank you for digging deeper into that question, Dan. Um, We had a meeting yesterday with a uh, former, I guess, intern that we had at the, what would you call it? No, it was was a It was a mentorship program. Yeah, we had a mentorship program, and we were just blown away by this person's work ethic and their capacity to do work. And so we, once that ended, we sat down and 
created a project that all three of us could work on together. And that's become, you know, essentially a, a big job. And so in a way, you could say that that's work that came out of that. Um, but the nuts and bolts stuff that we hire people to do is if we are, for example, holding an art show here, then we will hire someone to come and help do like the setup, the cleanup, the door person for that kind of stuff. So you get access to what's going on sort of in the studio. But like, like Justin said, it's not the how we do things. And then we have a big storage room filled with our prints and our products that we often need to sort and organize for shows. So we get people to come in and do that. But, uh, and you know, this is paid work. Like we'll pay you for your time here. Yeah. The, the advantage, if I was a person who wanted to do this kind of stuff as a job, the advantage always is if you get around people who are doing that, then the, your hidden curriculum comes through. Like if you're a person who wants to work in the film business, right, you go get a job schlepping gear. And now yeah. you're on set and you can meet the people who's the next job that you want and you yeah. can move up within. In, a, in an art studio scenario, that is, if you want to be somebody's apprentice, you first they have to... If you, if you can't even sweep up the studio, they're not going to trust you to lay out your mm. artwork. Right? You guys remember when we had Nicholas Burns on? He talked about his apprenticeship and how that helped him yeah. get started. It's a very important step for a lot yeah. of artists. It's yeah. just learning from people who've done it for a long time. We've done internships here in the past, and uh, the internship at our studio is always a paid internship. We don't ask people to come and do free work, um, but we preface it by saying not all the work that you'll come to do is like you know laying out marvel client work yeah okay that's true cool next question do a dab oh that was the that best dab i've ever go. seen <laughs> Awful. oh dear that was listeners. amazing and we all did it at the same time and they were all amazing <laughs> Um, I, record, a... I was the only person who did a job. Like that. <laughs> That's true. I don't. I wasn't hundred percent sure what it was. So <laughs> it's nothing. I... We, looks like you're sneezing. Yeah. What's that? Conductor. Little dab will do you. When do you think the best time to make comics slash artwork is? Hmm. That's well, like. Like you mean time of right? day? Right. Time yeah. of day. <laughs> so, time of day or the best time would have been in 1963. Dear listener, if you're the one that sent this question, you just send off a mind grenade. <laughs> so let's let's unpack it here. Let's say what do you? Let's do it in the minutia. During the day, when are you most productive? Uh, at night, from like in the afternoon. In the morning, I like to kind of do more organizational things and set things up and. Um, I find like I'm not as creative first thing in the morning, but from like, I want to say like five until midnight, like I am like the creative juices are at their peak. And I'm sort of parenthetical about it. I like really early in the morning for writing. I love to mm -hmm. write from like eight in the morning till noonish if I'm just doing prose and then a very similar, I like afternoon, evening, late work when the whole family goes to sleep. Yeah. Sometimes I'm a big, I'm a big believer in the whole siesta thing they do. Like in, in, uh, not, uh, I just find that in, in the mid afternoon and I, I teach, so this happens to me while I'm teaching as well. 
everyone in the classroom just kind of gets so like uh, it's that three o'clock crash yeah, and it's a real nobody, thing nobody the... is wanting to do any work or pay attention to anything so I wish we would all just stop and take a nap <laughs> I would yeah. love to do that <laughs> that's what they do in uh, in different some other countries around the world but um, yeah I, I agree and I'm not an artist so I'm just going to jump in I, I'm very cre- I'm very uh, productive uh, in the evening yeah. like in, around the eight or nine o'clock at night is when I just hit my stride so production okay. sound design um, show running is an art Dan oh, you are an artist. I'm usually I'm, when I talk about I'm not talking about marking assignments more than anything else. <laughs> <laughs> That's different. Well, that, anyway. That's different. Okay. Um, I have found as well, like since not being at like a full time studio, like when I was at a full time studio and eight hours, you had to concentrate on the one thing that you were supposed to be working on. Or oh, like when you're at a game studio, and you yeah, you'd hit a wall and you'd still have to force yourself to work on that thing. I really appreciate that we have the ability to. If you're not feeling that one page of comics, you can switch over to the layout of the back of the book or work on the logo for a while or do that. Like you can switch gears because creatively you just can't function in that one area. So you can switch to another until you're ready to come back. Yeah, the best I find that the best way to work for myself, dear listener who asked that question, uh, is... I have lots of projects going on at the same time, and yeah. so I'm working on a cover, and then as soon as the cover well is dry, I switch to interior pages, and as soon as that illustration well is dry, I can switch to writing, and I'm able to cycle through and stay very productive. How many hours a day would you say you could you commit to your job? <laughs> He's afraid to tell you just how many hours. I mean, I start usually around 9 o'clock, and... Like we kind of do we really take lunch? We just kind not of really. We not kind really. Of, well, sometimes. So like nine till five, and then usually like six till eight or nine as well. So yeah. like a good. So my evening shift. So I also am sort of a nine to fiver here, and then I go home for family time, and then my evening shift is usually like ten till midnight. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not. I mean, the. I guess you could you could worry that. That's because deadlines or whatever, but actually that's not true. I just really like working in the evening. So when I have deadlines, it's great because I have this system of like I set up stuff during the day and then I try to knock it down in the evenings to send off to people. But when I'm not, I just will use my evening time to just make up new stuff. I often wonder what normal people do, like from supper until bedtime. Like what? They watch The Voice. They watch TV. Yeah. Yeah. I can't I can't sit and watch TV. Like I, I have TV going while I'm working and painting, but just sitting and watching it, unless it's like a new exciting movie, I have like real trouble doing yeah. that. Yeah. And not working at the same time. I think that's actually common for a lot of people these days. The idea of appointment television where you actually would sit down. And I mean, I used to do this when I was like, I watched Star Trek The Next Generation every, oh, yeah. whatever, Tuesday at 7 or whatever it was on. Yeah. I would sit down to watch that because we didn't really have another. We could record it, but we didn't have PVR. I had not heard that phrase before. I love that Appointed. phrase. Appointment television. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's that's what they call it when you would actually, oh, okay, this is it's on six at 7 o'clock. o'clock. Yeah, yeah. Time to go watch this. That doesn't exist anymore because of PVRs, right? Right. But they're still making shows designed for that stuff. Yeah. That's what all those reality TV shows are, The Masked Singer right. and, and, and The Voice. And they do a lot of live shows with that stuff because live television is still desirable to watch live. So anyway, that's, yeah. that's The uh, only show that is appointment television in our house right now is uh, The Mandalorian. And every there, yeah. Friday, but but, but when, when, when is that, that drops like at 
Fridays. Yeah, what time though? In six in the morning or doesn't something? matter because we don't watch. Yeah. It. I watch it with the kids, so yeah. it's after school Fridays. Yes, okay. So then, right? and that's but it's still not at a yeah. specific time. I have a friend who gets up at six a.m. every Friday morning to watch, to watch it. it. Yeah, because as soon as he wakes up, he watches it and he gets ready for work. So that, that depends on on what your schedule is. Wow. See, I'm doing that with <laughs> the new South Parks and Rick and Morty's are coming out. Uh, every week, so I usually try to stay up late on Sundays to watch the new Rick and Morty. That's that's a good uh, that's a good idea. Yeah. What? Uh, Actually, okay. it's it's Here's my turn. Is my it your turn? turn? I have it's a good turn. one though. Good one. I, okay, I don't know if this is gonna be a good one or not because I don't know what this is. But if you know what this is, you'll probably get excited. Have you ever seen Outlaw Star? No. No. <laughs> okay. Apparently, I I just looked into it briefly. It's an older anime that looks very uh, Cowboy Bebop-ish. Oh, I love Um, Cowboy Bebop. Yeah. But, so we need to add that to our to watch. How close to Galaxy Rangers is it? I don't know. I don't know Galaxy Rangers either. Oh, Galaxy Rangers has a special place in my heart. Is that the, uh, is that the, um, Galaxy Rangers is just the, uh, what's it called? Is Battle of the Planets? Is that the same thing? (laughs) No. No, Sorry. Sorry. I'm sorry, sir. but... But that was known as something else. There was two different series called something... Two different things, but it was essentially the same thing. Yeah, this was Battle of the Planets and something else. Yeah, so. no. Okay, forget it. I know what you're thinking of. Yeah. Catchman or Getchaman. Getchaman, that's Battle it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. If publishers don't want it and I have no money to do it myself, then what? Oh. Um. Oh. And because what we've talked about many oh. times, dear listener on the podcast, is that if a five or ten publishers don't want it because it's too different that's not nearly enough rejections it's not enough rejections first of all i agree with that you need like 50 100 rejections but then if you know it's of quality and you really believe in it and you have been you've been getting from peers and professionals feedback that it is of quality but still a publisher isn't biting on it we have often given the advice then do it yourself and take it to the market yourself but but that, that does require money. capital and, yeah. and money. And if you don't have that, what is, I would say, Webtoon. Sam Biko, uh, former um, uh, suffering co-host of this podcast, who is uh, her new Webtoon comic. Well, I shouldn't say new. Cramps uh, is my boyfriend. Just crossed 100,000 reads. Nice. Right? So uh, it costs you nothing to put it on there, except your time and effort to make the work. And if you get more than 10,000 subscribers, then you're starting to generate revenue from it. There's also Amazon print-on-demand. Right. Same kind of deal. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. So there are, lo- there are still places where you can get that work into the public eye without having to also rely on other people. Gatekeepers, if, if you If want. I was a publisher and all you have is one book and nothing else, and that's all you've been pushing is like the one book you've worked on, then... Where's book two? Where's book three? Where what are all, all the other projects? Yeah. Yeah. The, I, what I would say to this is that there's no there's no deadline for you to publish your work. So if you've already got it ready to go, so, yeah. so you know, it's, it's completed. Oh, and move on, move on to the, you don't have to yeah. publish it to, to say it's done. Just move on to the next thing yeah. and then keep that. There's no, you know, that can be published anytime. Uh, last episode, where, well, we wouldn't have released this episode yet, but the one we had uh, Dr. Jonathan Ball on, which will be coming out soon, um, he talks about how, um, you know, when, when something, when there's a trend, we talked about, uh, uh, Twilight and, and vampires, vampires and stuff. Um, these a lot of these things exist already when they get published. So if there's a if you've got a vampire graphic novel, just wait for the next big vampire trend. trend yeah, and everybody you'll, you'll should get picked up. Send the send the finish work because it's faster and quicker. The the other thing to uh, uh, mention there 
I think is that most of my graphic novel works that I've done with other companies, like I'm doing with, like that I'm doing with the publisher, have been the what else you got. Right? I've gotten oh, into the room. You pitched them the one thing. Yeah, they're like, them the one eh, thing, not and they're right. like, maybe. Do you have something a little more this or yeah. a little more that? And, and so having two or three things in your in your briefcase, you know. Um, and you don't need them fully fleshed out, no. but you need enough of them that you can pitch a publisher on and give them an idea of what it's going to yeah. be. Because a finished book, you know, like um, uh, Drift Hazard and the Hellcats of Venus, I've got like 60 Caution, pages. Drop off. Yeah, I've got like 60 pages of it finished and I haven't found a place to put it yet. I'm probably just going to fold it into my World War Weird stuff. But I had enough of it finished that when I brought it to a publisher, they could be confident that I could do a book. And then when they said the what else you got, that was Good Boys. Right, yeah, that fit man. the publisher much better. The weak old, freaking. Yeah, you're you're angry at that, but so, the truth I'm is, I'm not. I'm just jealous of how <laughs> successful that went. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's what I have to say about that. Is you need to send it out more often to people, and you need to have more work that you self-initiated. Nice call. What else you got? Well, Thor's taking on a squadron down on sixth, and he didn't invite me. Anime or manga? Manga. Manga. My kids say manga. They're very, very upset uh, about that. Bandasune. Um Manga. Manga. I said... No anime. Oh. anime. So I, I would say anime. I said anime because growing up, I started getting access to anime shows like via Toonami and, and VHS and stuff like that. But I had no access to manga. Like right. the comic book stores that I did get access to, um, you know was like twice a year I could get access to you a real comic You would comic only book be able store. to buy those at special, specialty yeah. Asian gift and shops. And I can honestly no. say that... Not comic book stores, as uh, you can now. I, uh, I'm standing on a privileged um, moment in my childhood past when my dad went on a business trip to Hong Kong ah. and, and knew I liked comics and knew I was into comics as a little kid and brought back a whole bunch of... I didn't know what the hell they were then... But it turned out they were big phone book volumes of Dragon Ball Z when I was a kid. Oh. Like gold. Right? So Were they in English? No. Oh, okay. God, no. Yeah. So I couldn't read it, and it was all backwards, and I yeah. was trying to figure it out. <laughs> you probably, how much did you read before you realized you were going the wrong way? Oh, you know, I was, <laughs> it doesn't take actually long to figure out a fight scene is in right. reverse, right? But the point I'm making there is I had an early exposure to source material, yes. which has kindled that spark in my heart to gotcha. say manga yeah. but i do dearly love anime it was the uh, for me it was the um tuning into knrr which oh. was the fox affiliate here but I'm, you had to have rabbit ears i had it. rabbit ears turned uh, it into number six on my to, rabbit you ears you had to kind of get it right if the reception was it was a clear day and you had a good reception you could watch robotech oh. Ultron. there was a number of like anime like it was, that's it was where i watched galaxy rangers exactly americanized yeah. anime basically yeah. but and and the only one i really could watch on a regular basis was transformers because that was a conventional tv show but yeah for some reason none of none of our canadian networks had any of those other ones and so that's where i, I started watching uh, anime what what became known as anime at the time it was japanimation which is not a good term to no use anymore. no so yeah um any new marvel pieces coming up that you're going to work on or any well, of us both of us yeah yeah i do think what's so. on the, what's in the forge for uh, well, right now, forge. Yeah, in the forge. Um, One of forge. Seriously, forge. Mm. Oh, like actually forge. The character forge. <laughs> um, 
You know, there's something to that. There's something to that. I like him. Uh, because he has that prosthetic leg, and I'm working uh, automatic ages. Hey. All got my prosthetic leg characters, and uh, um, influenced by, by the fact that my father um, also um, is the uh, proud owner of a prosthesis. And I say proud because it, you know, it's amazing. It's an amazing piece of technology. Um, Marvel pieces. I had. I've been going back to Daredevil, but original Daredevil stuff. Now that Sienkiewicz is back doing New Mutants, and uh, he had done this great graphic novel with Frank Miller, it's got me thinking about his unrestrained art style, about um, Daredevil, the character that was like the first, my first love, of my first superhero love and collage work, and I've been thinking about this really interesting composition, at least I think it's interesting, to use collage elements to show the contours of a room. Oh, So cool. like yeah, the yeah. Daredevil piece would be, like the figure himself would be properly rendered, but then the actual radar sense of the yeah, room would all of be torn up pieces of other artwork, cool. Daredevil artwork that would be like around that. to make it. Mm. But... Um, that will require some time. That and scene in the first season of Daredevil, the the long hallway fight mm, the scene, the first one oh, because it became oh. a trope of that series. That yes. They had to do one every there was season. This, yeah, but that first one was amazing. That first one, oh. that's like old boy style, uh, yeah. really good hallway fight scene. Love it so much. Yeah. Love it amazing. so much. You can watch the cut. There's a little. There is an edit in it. I'm pretty sure. But um, okay, I have a question. Okay. Oh, um, and I'm gonna do something Spider Verse. Oh, yeah, you can answer your own question. That's a great question. That's a great uh, piece. Um, Somebody responded to a question from a previous uh, episode about how you track your book numbers. Um, So if you are concerned that your publisher is not reporting your book numbers accurately. Yeah, we talked about it on another episode. And you were unsure. And I was unsure about what it's called, like what the service is called that tracks that. So... Book publishers have access to something called BookNet in Canada, which tracks all the ISBNs. It says it's a bit tricky as it shows what's selling in stores to customers when the publisher slash author is paid based on what the distributor is selling to the store at that purchase time. So put another way, it will track distributor numbers. But, but not, not what's necess- actually selling in the store. Not necessarily So it shows numbers. there's 10 books that were sent to that chapters. Right. But of those 10 books, you have no idea. But they should also then eventually list returns. Okay. Right? And so you'd have to do a little bit of... You can also probably tell, like, if they keep ordering more and more books from the distributor, yeah. then clearly things yeah. are selling. If yeah. every month they're ordering more, then you know... Yeah. I mean, I guess I was going to say, shouldn't there be a better system than that? But that actually sounds like a pretty good system, considering how many books are out there and how much... Well, here's it, what you have to recognize, is that the bookstore has to account correctly because yeah. they have to pay their taxes. And that's and really invoices. their only concern is, is counting their own inventory correctly. That's right. really what they have. They don't have to worry about um, you as the author. People who are tuning in just for this episode can look at our previous cheesing episode to see why predatory publishers would sometimes pull this trick on you. But... Um, uh, I really thank that listener for their answer. BookNet is the thing you want to look up. So we're going to look that up and learn more about BookNet. Um, Go ahead. All right. Uh, would you be open to your art being tattooed on people? Yes. Has that not happened already? You've done that yes. many times. Many times. Yeah. Um, but I always say 
I'm not a tattoo artist. I'm a digital artist, and they're very different mediums. So don't expect me to be able to help you with your tattoo. You need to take it to a tattoo artist who is versed in that medium and knows what works and what doesn't, and they might need to do some, you know, their own thing to it to make it work. Um, and I want to see pictures of it when it's done. Has it not, have people not done that yet? They oh, yeah, lots of people okay. have done yeah, that. But yeah. that's always my response is like, you can do it. I can't help you, though. Like, okay. You have to work this out with your tattoo guy. So you give them the permission. I give them permission. Yeah. I think it's that's, totally that's awesome. It's great that they ask. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's yeah, the yeah. thing that most people wouldn't ask, but uh, no, it's great that I've they ask. I've given permission a few times, for t- and a couple of different times, artwork. I've been asked to do tattoo-related artwork, and I've done that. Uh, that was... Actually, before I started doing any comics work, I had done some of that stuff. Um, when you're just doing like ink line drawings, it's more common to be asked. Um, if one does have a large format comic that they want to complete, would you? It's a multiple choice question mm. here. <laughs> a, finish the book on your own time and then seek out crowdfunding to go to print. B, finish the book on your own time and then seek out a public- publisher. C, Put together a treatment with a few illustrations, seek out crowdfunding, then finish the book. Or D, put together a treatment with a few illustrations and seek out a publisher. So this has a couple elements that we might need to know more about. Crowdfunding, I think, relies a lot on how well you can spread things around the internet. Yeah, what's your reach? So if you're an unknown and this is your first book project and you don't have any kind of online presence, it's going to be really difficult for you to find, you know, 100 people to back your project on the internet because nobody knows your portfolio, nobody knows your background, nobody knows about the project. It's just suddenly it's there. I, I can't, it's going to be really hard for you to get funded. Some recent feedback from the Kickstarter community uh, reminded me this, that if you're a first-time Kickstarter creator it lists that this is your first project you ever made, but it also lists how many you've ever backed. So you might be first, like first thing you've ever done, but if it shows that you backed 12 or 15 or 30 other projects. engaged in the community. The community, that's your community cred. Yeah. Right? And so a lot of people look at that as like a scorecard and say like, listen, you've been here to help others. Yeah. We'll take a chance on you too then. Right, so that is great. That's yeah. good to know. Um, Do you guys never have never done crowdfunding before? Have you either of you done that? No. Okay. Um, we often talk about, it, and this goes to I think C or D. They asked um, putting it up on Kickstarter and then finishing it. We've always talked about how much we've never done a Kickstarter, but we've talked to people who've done, and we realize how much work and effort it is to do a Kickstarter. And so the idea of finishing a book as well as trying to wrangle a Kickstarter don't, seems like a horrible idea. Yeah. Yeah. So finish the project and then focus on that Kickstarter and that campaign. And the thing about Kickstarter is you have to make sure that the whatever the tiers that you're offering, the different reward tiers, yeah. are manageable. You don't want to create a whole bunch of more work for yourself yeah. to uh, to satisfy those rewards. So And make sure it's not going to cost you a bunch more money either. So the famous cool. graphic novel, he got $100,000 on his Kickstarter and ended up having to take out a bank loan to, to fulfill, all to fulfill everything. Because, yeah. because shipping was so much right, more right, than right. Yeah, Shipping sucks. <laughs> so the D question here was put together a treatment with a few illustrations and seek out a publisher. What's great is that if you're going to Kickstarter anyway, you already have your illustrations, a treatment, you have your one sheet, you have everything you need to also engage with the publisher, mm-hmm. right? You're going to need a couple of months to get your Kickstarter um, lined up and sort of ready to launch. There's no need to wait around. 
Um, and publishers like IDW, Dark Horse, independent comics publishers, even Image, aren't angry if you are going to pay for it through crowdfunding. They're actually pleased because then that's their budget they don't have to spend. So if you say to them, I am pitching this project and I am going to try to crowdfund its production, you can often find a home for a kickstarted project mm. that way. How do you get funding for something like this? You don't actually think they spend $20,000 on a hammer, $30,000 on a toilet seat, do you? We have a voice uh, question here. Oh. sent to us through uh, Anchor. Dun, dun, dun. You can do this anytime, by the way. You can always, if you, you listen to this podcast on the Anchor app, you can actually uh, just record a message through your phone, and it'll, it'll come to us, and we can, uh, we can answer them at any time. But here's one uh, that we have. This is Jonathan Ball, and I'd like to know what a bad day for you looks like, how a day goes off the rails, and what do you do to recover from a bad day? Oh, what do you do when you have a bad day? What's a bad day look like, Justin? I had a similar question to this, so I got my answer all ready to go. Oh, um, correct answer. When I wake up and I am not feeling like working on anything that I was going to be working on, like I'm just, the the muse isn't there and I feel burnt out and there's, I don't want to do anything. Every time I'm in a creative mode and I come up with ideas, everything gets jotted down in a sketchbook. So I have lists and lists and lists of different art projects, different online endeavors, like all these little projects that I'd love to get to. Um, so if I'm ever feeling deflated, and don't want to work on this, I can go to my sketchbooks and there's a hundred other little projects that I can start tackling. And that usually brings me out of a funk. Hmm. Or at least it's all lined up to work on. So I don't have to think about anything. I can just work. Does that make sense? It does make yeah. sense. None of my bad days have ever been related to my writing or art. No. My bad days always come from the external world. They're always like something has happened, you know, either in the family or to the family or in the world at large or, you know, uh, some tragedy has befallen a real human person. Art has been always my way of coping with the bad yeah. day. Mm -hmm. So when I am in a funk, when I am, you know overwrought by something that is, art is the answer. beyond my control, mm -hmm. art is the way in which I, grasp for that control again you know i i can't control the outside world but i can control my own thoughts and sometimes ordering your own thoughts by expressing them through art is uh, to me the is the way that i combat a bad day but uh, you guys have talked about in the past how you've had issues with uh you know not getting your stuff at a con or mm. um like just bad things happen where things go wrong See, right? I, don't, I don't consider that to be a bad day that's just what happens? Things go wrong. Okay. I mean, in the grand wrong. scheme, we're pretty lucky yeah. doing what we're doing. There's not a whole lot to complain about, even when things fall off the rails. Like, yeah, like, worst case, you know, even when we've missed a flight and the stuff hasn't shown up and the shipper didn't get it or the publisher, like, screwed us or whatever, I'm still making freaking comics for a living. What do <laughs> I have to complain about? It's true. What? Right? Yeah. How dare you? How dare I <laughs> complain? What gives you the right? Yeah, about that. No way. Um, so, you know. I think it also really helped that from ages like 16 to 19, I worked in like an industrial hog barn. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, we've both had some pretty crappy jobs. Yeah. yeah. So you just remember those days and say, well, I could be doing that. So yeah, thanks yeah. dad for giving me perspective on yeah. having right. an okay job. Um, 
one bad day I had in a previous job was a, uh, a client that uh, came at me with a uh, sharpened piece of plexiglass. Um, I used to work at a group homes and oh. so regularly dealt with violent uh, situations. And it wasn't that bad day. Wasn't that it was, you know, outside of the norm to have to deal with a situation like that. It was that they intended it to be me. Right? There's a lot of negative things that go on there where it's just people lash out all the time. Mm -hmm. This was like, I'm going to get you. Uh -oh. And that was a different, that was a bad day where it was like, whatever I had done was a failure where I, it was not just like having to cope with a backlash of a society that does not care about this person's well-being and they're going to take it out on any authority figure. This was like, I had done it, they had perceived that I was the problem and so had to be removed. It all worked out and that person and I uh, worked it out. Did not even need to have them kicked out of the group home or police action. I just defended myself, talked them down, we went to counseling and it all got worked out. So, so what you're saying is, is your bad days now are not, some people have much, much worse days. <laughs> yeah, my bad days now are not people coming at me with sharpened plexiglass. They I mean, are, there oh no, are my shipping. There's certain yeah. days that. Like you, you recently had a bunch of stuff stolen out of your car. Like that's a bad oh, yeah. day. But it was also right? the day that I launched my new website. So it all kind of evened out. <laughs> uh, it's a good question though. And it's a good thing to think about, I think, for everybody is how do you deal with your bad days? Mm -hmm. What are the ways in which you manage your stress I mean, when the day because is because it's all relative. Yeah, right? bad days like, are coming. Bad days are bad. Yeah, you have yeah. good days, you have bad days. Like, regardless of where you're at, what you do, like, it's all relative to you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that is... Uh, um, so I think it's really healthy to, like, when I'm having a bad day, like, I, I recognize it and recognize that it's, you know, something that's fleeting, that's not going to last long, and I just have to... Like, you know, weather the storm, I've got my plan, and tomorrow's going to be better. Mm. Um, okay, so Bioshock this... Infinite. Have you ever played? Uh, no, I, I I'm aware it. of it. I yeah. own it, and I don't, yeah. have never played it. Yeah. I still yeah. haven't finished the first Bioshock. Man. Is that, a, is that a question? It was, yeah. Somebody wanted to know about Bioshock Infinite. And I remember, like, watching all the development diaries and, like, all the trailers of it coming out. And it had oh, such no, great I have, design. I have played it. Sorry, I have yeah. played Bioshock Infinite. That's the one. Where the songbird. You're up in the sky. Yeah. Like, the first Bioshock is you're under the water. Yeah. And I think there was a second one. Where's Bioshock? The two, second right? one was a different studio, and everybody says you can skip the second one. Okay. It was another studio coming in and trying to capitalize on the all success right. of the first one. Uh, Apparently not as good. I really like the world of Bioshock. Like yes. That, it's like this cool, kind of steampunky, kind of uh, old... It's very much in, in line with your aesthetic and yours, actually. Oh, sorry. Proper use it's of like steampunk. If you guys, like, mixed your two styles, you would yeah. get something that looks it's like, like Bioshock. It's like Nautilus punk, almost. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, okay, this one is, uh, you've illustrated for several graphic novels, including this place. So this one's for me, I guess. Uh, is, but we can all answer this question. Is there something in particular about graphic novels that, to you, makes them a powerful medium for social justice? Wow, this is all you. <laughs> <laughs> You're just like, I just draw robots? I just want to draw robots. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I think that the real thing that makes comics powerful as a tool for social justice is that people don't take it too seriously and as a result you can kind of sneak it in there yeah you can disseminate <laughs> it more widely and you can put a big idea in young hands sooner 
then usually people think they're ready to tackle that big idea. Yeah, I think part of it, you didn't I mean the keyword there being young, like that's mm -hmm. it's a good way to get an idea across to a younger audience who are more receptive to comic books as a medium right. than adults are. That's when you get into it, is when you're a teenager or when you're in your preteens. Um, and but yeah, I think you're right. It's very similar to uh, to Star Trek, the original Star Trek series, which kind of disguised a bunch of super serious ideas oh, as yeah. science fiction, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like it kind of got this all this stuff across, all these issues that were happening with the with the world, and uh, people didn't think anything of it because it was just a sci-fi show. Well, and science fiction and graphic novels, in general, I think have this ability for a person to. Uh, even if they're not totally conversant in the, you know, themes or the big ideas that are trying to be there, they can look at the pictures and know that they do understand, right? Yeah. If they can code, decode that this picture plus this picture equaled this picture, and this is the conflict, then they can start thinking about what that conflict really means. And sometimes the words that are added in are above a young reader's head. But that's okay. Right? We don't have to only give people things that they're ready for. How you grow is you're presented with an idea that you're not ready for, and you have to reach to get to it. Uh, one of the things I've been trying to do with my sort of career is to spend half my time working on socially conscious work and the other half on stuff that's just pure fun. Um, not just because um, you, know, you want to have meaning in your life, which obviously you do, but because the world is full of these two things, right? The world is a wonderful, fun place with amazing things, and you can, like, suck the marrow out of life if you want. But there's also some real shit going on that you shouldn't just ignore. And if you balance your work to express both those things, then, you know, we talked about bad days before. Your bad days become a lot easier to manage because you have a way to express those ideas. Specifically about this place, I would say about that, um, that comic is... A great way to teach history uh, because of the visualization of it and because you're, you're learning these stories in a different way. Um, my mom uh, works in education, or she did actually before she, she just changed jobs. One thing she was always telling me about is how, about how much she wants the history books need to be rewritten. This is a problem in Canada. Absolutely the, true, like, yeah. like, like students are still learning kind of the old version of, of Canada's history, whereas this place is trying to tell us the real version of Canada's yeah. history. And they do a great job of it. Um, the stories are amazing, and it's just a great example of that how graphic novels can be a tool for education yeah and i just did it you know i had a very small part to play in that project just illustrating uh, sean and rachel's story but um for the dear listener who hasn't heard of it this place is 150 years retold is how you'd look it up um is the history of canada told from the perspective of the colonized rather than the colonizer mm. uh, and history is very rarely presented in that way uh, Canada is undergoing a period of reconciliation, and this is part of that. It's very, very good. Right? Part of that. So I was uh, happy to be included. I'm going to go check on the dampers. You need anything? Equal rights? How did you feel about uploading your first drawing when you first started posting things online oh, for goodness. the internet? MySpace. Was it MySpace? Wow. MySpace was the first place. Oh, man, that's so long ago. Where well, I said is, to you myself, say, you say that, but it would have been maybe 10, 11, 12 no, years longer. ago. No longer. Well, no. Whoa, well, really? Yeah. MySpace was like 
No, early mid mid twenty years ago is when I put stuff on. Well, MySpace that, that's the before first MySpace. No, that's when it was mm, what? You two thousand? Because my my kid is ten, and like ten years before I had a kid, I was putting stuff on MySpace. So that's okay. I have a oh, good. I didn't know that was that old. Yeah. Elvenwood. 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 <laughs> it's like the precursor to DeviantArt. Whoa. Yeah. Okay, and how I felt about it was <laughs> I had drawn what I considered to be the best work I had ever done, and I uploaded a bunch of pages of it, and as soon as, I can be really honest, as soon as it was up there, I was like, oh, no, I'm not ready. It's yeah. so <laughs> bad. And comments start coming in, right? And this was like early social media. You were media, getting so, comments? Yeah, so people would comment back and forth, right? Mm. Early on, this was how it was. People were polite and cordial. Yeah, and... cordial. <laughs> but other people said things like, oh, well, you have a long way to go before you oh, be a lovely. professional. <laughs> right? And those comments came from people who were comic book professionals. So it was... They were... Com- yeah, wow. You know? People commented. Yeah. yeah. It was wild to be told you're no good. This is what happened when I first... But, you know... That's what happens. Everyone thinks you're no good. You, uh, uh, you can't be somebody's favorite unless you're somebody's least favorite, right? Mm-hmm. Shout out to J-Ball for that bit of wisdom. Yeah. Um, um, and the other thing, actually, I'll say about that. Wait. Doubt is the origin of wisdom. What would, what's something you'd recommend? Somebody who is drawing and just about to start uploading their stuff on the internet for the first time next week, what do you got to say to them? Watermark. No, no, no. Watermarks Come on. Are Speaking dumb. of late nineties technology, <laughs> um, what do I have to say to a person who is just? Or, uh, it takes time. You can't yeah. expect to become viral overnight. It takes a. You have to participate in the community. You have to comment on other people's. Sometimes stuff. one night is all it takes to catch a virus. I but mean, you can't <laughs> be viral overnight. Um, when I, it's funny, um, my son just uploaded a video to YouTube last week and it's got like 600 views or something, which is pretty good for him. Like he doesn't have a ton of subscribers, but, um, I'm like, Oh, you're viral. And he's like, no, 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 no. It's nothing. Um, but he, uh, he uploads quite often to YouTube. He makes these funny little videos and compilations and he puts them up there just for fun. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the important thing is just to do it for fun, not to, not with any expectations of what's going to come out of it. Because and everybody who does any kind of online who's who's come, become internet famous um, has that kind of advice. Just do it for yourself first. Yes. Don't worry about it. Don't, try don't worry to, about the likes. If you try to tackle it with an agenda, like with a business work, plan, yeah. it's not going to work. You got to kind of just do your thing and let people. Yeah, fame is the mask that eats the face. Right. You're just full of sayings today. Right. Yeah. So that's, that's I'm not picking any of these for the title of this episode. I'm by the way. just. <laughs> I'm just a fortune cookie in the shape of a man. What, in your opinion, is your best piece of artwork to date? Oh. I have no idea. I don't even know how to answer that. Do you have a favorite? Do you have one that really kind of sticks out? What are my criteria? What is the rubric? What, you know? Like, are we talking, like, monetary success? Like, what's the thing that was the most successful? Are we talking about the one you most proud of having made? Even that, as soon as I make a thing, I'm super proud of it. And then the very next day, I hate it, and I need to do a better one. So you've just died, and you're in front of those Egyptian judges who judge your life's worth with the scale. They put, what is it? But it's your heart they judge. You're supposed to keep your heart light. 
No, but they're going to put a piece of artwork of yours on the scale instead. (laughs) What is the piece of artwork? Oh, no. (laughs) To tip the scales. To tip the scales. And this is like whether or not it's been published. It's just like, I've done it. Right now, I'm honestly the, the most proud of the game mechanic for World War Weird. Oh, nice. Because it's not about the game. It is my honest expression of how I think life works, right? So like the game engine that you've built for your board game. That's right. Yeah, well, yeah for the tabletop role-playing game. Because cool. it basically it's pre- prefaced around this idea that... Um, Bad things happen at random and that you can only prepare so much for the random events of life. And yes, doing a bunch of stuff, having experience in those things gives you a small advantage. But ultimately, there's doom that might be waiting for you. And you're not up. You don't get to decide. You just get to decide what you do once a bad thing's happened, right, and how you maneuver it. And it's, you know, it's very much in how I feel you should approach life. It's sort of like a distillation. It's sort of like a training ground for how I think people should think about the problems in their lives. All the threats and dooms of World War Weird, the game, are basically just big metaphors for the shit that goes on in your <laughs> real life. And so it's my, you know, that's the thing. You know, if, you want, if you're asking yourself what you want to be remembered for, I guess is what you're really asking. Um, that's the nah. thing, more well, than the, any of my comments. The question is to work. date, so that means that you could still come yeah. up with something... Better. Yeah, hopefully I'll do something better than that. Because you're talking about yeah. a, you're talking about a game that's not even available to the public yet, <laughs> True. right? That nobody True. else is like I played it once, and I'm sure Justin's played it more than once. But yeah. uh, it, it, it's a, a fun few, it's a fun game. We've had sure. a few hundred playtesters, yeah. and that's yeah. it. Yeah. So so when when can we expect this to hit the market? Well, we're actually doing um, full play testing, like uh, I guess you'd call that beta testing, like testing with strangers now, starting now, where I have a regular. Uh, evening where I bring in people to test the game and then uh, by the end of 2020 the physical game will be available to the public okay I'm very likely to release we're actually you know this is a good place to talk about talking about the pros and cons of releasing the actual content of the game under an open license making it public domain it borrows many characters from the public domain and so as a way, in my mind, of balancing that scale, speaking of your Egyptian mm-hmm. uh, mythology there, balancing that scale is to return stuff into the public domain as a way of balancing where I got it from. So talking to some lawyers about that right now, about what the pros and cons are. Okay. Yeah. Can you still make money for it if it's in the, if it's in the public domain? Sure. Okay. Yeah. You can just sell your own copy. It just means that once once it's out, other people could also make versions of it. Oh, okay. Oh, that's okay. Right? Yeah. And as Justin and and I have talked about many times, there's a lot of people who say they could do things, but then they don't. They never do. Right? So it's just a small percentage of people who might see it and like it enough that they would make their own. Well, I say more power to them. Why would I stand in their way? Call the patent office. Copyright the name Green Goblin. I want a corner every time somebody says it. What are the tools you think you need to start working on a comic? You need a pencil and a piece of eight and a half by 11 computer paper. Fold that paper in half and get started. The idea that you somehow need a big computer or some fancy drawing tools or any of that is nonsense. Mm-hmm. Um, Deadpool was created with those two tools. Eight and a half, Rob Liefeld worked on eight and a half by 11 printer paper, folded in half, and he drew his Deadpool pages 
in pencil on that kind of paper. So if your hope is to create a long-lasting character franchise, <laughs> there's a perfect example of all you need to start. What would you recommend they start with? If, if they're going to go for a computer thing. Um, Illustrator? I wouldn't, actually. No, no? I, if you can't do it on paper a little bit first, don't. Okay, so what, but what do you do once you do that? You, you've kind of got the concept down. You've mapped out the issue of the comic book. Right. You still have, you do need a computer at some point to get these things onto a page to send it off to. Okay, let me, pre let me put this another way. If you can't finish a story on a few sheets of eight and a half by 11 paper and a pencil, or with a pencil, uh, why would you spend thousands of dollars on a computer? Like first know that you've got something before you yeah, create the that's infrastructure Yeah, fine, but I'm it. saying once they've done that, then what? Then what? Then borrow your uncle, brother, cousin's mother's rig, right? Yeah. And uh, someone you know who has uh, Photoshop and or Illustrator. Are there like free versions of that stuff out yes. there? There are lots of different yeah, versions. Yeah, there's lots. Yeah. Like, um, you don't need the, the actual Photoshop. And we don't mean stolen. No, we no, mean I, mean like, I mean like yeah. open source type yes. of programs. Yes. Yeah. There are many. That, and then print out a couple copies and go to your local Comic-Con. Yeah. That's how we go. Or like depending, yeah. you know. Make a lemonade stand version of your comic thing. Like, you know, if you've got a place you can set up. Because what you're really wanting is honest feedback or, from strangers. Or, or just do Webtoon, as you say. Like, Webtoon would Get be it fine. Like, you don't need your own computer. You can just take the file to a library yeah. and use their computers to upload it to the internet. So, you yeah. don't, you really can't do this without a computer. Yeah. Wow. Gasp. You, could, you, can, you can illustrate it, scan it in at the library. I bet you can do that at the library probably, right? They have good scanners there. The idea mill at our library. Yeah, at ours, yeah, yeah for sure. Uh, yeah. And then from there, you can just upload it to Webtoon and go from there. Yeah. Cool. Um, so I did get one comment or one question. What you up to later? Winky face. <laughs> <laughs> Which so I just had to bring that up. To the uh, flirty commenter. I'm sorry, but we're all taken on this podcast. <laughs> all right. Okay, so Kent Ertman from Facebook. For both of you, or possibly all three, if you let your producer speak, which I think we're... <laughs> if we're we doing. let you speak. <laughs> oh, see. All right, so it's a three-part question. Okay, I'm ready. So, career highlights and lowlights. Career highlights. Career highlights. Career highlights for me, for sure, right now. Oh, man. Uh, doing the Baby Metal book was a career highlight. Yeah. Um, but also a low light. Like, oh. it was, like, combined. Yeah, I would say the same for me, but with FanQuest. Like, mm -hmm. the first year of FanQuest was amazing, but also horrible. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> right. it really is a mix of those those two things. Yeah, like, your it, highlight it, and your low light, <laughs> I think, are often combined. <laughs> right? Yeah. Poof. Because you should be challenging. It should be a challenge. It should be uncomfortable. If you can just do it, well, it's not big a highlight. Deal. It's, still, yeah. it's just everyday it's not stuff. A it's just everyday, yeah. right? Like having a really successful, like being successful at the New York Comic Con was like crazy yeah. to me. Like being in that room with that amount of talent and like doing well, but also the amount of stress and like. <laughs> craziness that goes into like being at that show and putting it on like your yeah your highlight yeah. and your low light i think are made of the same stuff because yeah. you That's feel true. like you're in a new place uh and you are exhilarated again and it's and it's you know the electricity of the moment is all around you but at any moment it could also go horribly wrong right mm -hmm. 
It's got to be pretty cool to do Marvel stuff, though, like the concept art for Marvel. That was cool, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Like that kind of stuff is uh, really neat when that comes along mm-hmm. for you guys. I have uh, coming up a few, you know, potentially new career highlights. Okay. Um, we'll see. We'll, we'll see where that goes. Uh, but they're made of that same stuff where, like, I don't actually know if I'm qualified to do it. Uh-oh. <laughs> right? Favorite movie that is not of the comic fantasy sci-fi genre? Jeez. Green no, con- oh, no fantasy no. either. Green Street Hooligans for me. This is a tough one. Like this is just a, okay. So what is that one about? Green Street Hooligans is about um, kind of like soccer gangs in the UK. Oh, I've seen. Yes, it's yes, with yes. Elijah Wood. Yes, and- yes, yes. Okay. okay what are? What, I had to push away from the table to really think that. <laughs> it's no fantasy. Difficult. No sci-fi. No sci-fi. It can't be comic book theme. Can't be comic book theme. Uh. Ghost Dog by Jim Jarmusch. That's a very good movie. I can honestly say that that movie, not just that movie, but like the philosophy in that movie when I first saw it, and I think I saw it in theater, changed my life. I went out and found the source material, read that source material. Hegakure, uh, Falling Leaves. Um, I read the book every year now, and it is uh, a big deal. I can't think of one. I, I, everything I think of has some sort of element. Like Inception is probably one of my favorite movies of all time, but it's got that element of sci-fi to yeah. it. Yeah. Um, oh, jeez, I'm you know I'm blanking. I'm sure there are. I mean, The Deer Hunter. Okay, fine. I'll say The Deer Hunter. Well, you can't. Okay, fine. It. Well, that, that's a really good movie, and I really do love it. Uh, it's just I can't. Is that Robert De Niro? Yeah, Robert yeah. De Christopher Walken. It's a oh. Vietnam movie. It was one of the first Vietnam oh, movies yeah. to come out. And it's just got the, it's so intense, and it's got like these, like the wedding That's scene. That's the roulette scene in that. Yes, the, yeah. yeah, the Russian roulette. So yeah, the, yeah. the wedding scene in that is about forty-five minutes long of just this wedding, and it's so good because it totally um, conveys what a wedding is like because it goes mm-hmm. on forever. A wedding, you're, right. you're, 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 just, you're at a wedding, and it's going on forever, and people are having fun and getting drunk, and it's just a great scene. But in general, it's a really, really good movie, and the time at the time it came out. Um, I think it was much more relevant. I don't think many people have seen it, so I definitely would recommend checking out The Deer Hunter if you haven't seen it. But that's what's coming to my mind right now. I'm sure I'll think of a better answer later. That's usually what happens. Where are comic books headed in the next couple decades? Deliberately open-ended question. Address whichever angle seems most impactful to you. Whew. I hope it doesn't go... I hope it just stays... As, like I know that more people are reading digital... Um, I much prefer the physical printed comic book than mm-hmm. like I got Marvel Unlimited. I tried that for a while and while I read comic books on my tablet. I don't like it. I don't like it either. Yeah. It's not the same. Even with their fancy like they've got that kind of zoom in and they got a special way of looking at it. Like I still prefer a regular comic book. To now that. here's the thing: I, I'm working with a digital comics book publisher right now for Arena City, and uh, they're hope is to create a new space for how that kind of stuff is consumed and i'm really excited about what that might be do i think that it's the thing i don't know if it's the thing but you know to quote uh halton catch fire it's the thing that's going to get to the next thing i do believe that um personally i kind of i i don't like single issues hmm. i kind of like and i don't know um if we'll ever get rid of them if it's just too like built into the foundation of comics but i never buy a single issue of anything well, it's always a trade the thing is the the, the the mechanic of that the reason why they came up with single issue comics 
it was all around the newspaper stand and all about yeah. these weekly publications. That's gone now. All that stuff yeah. is gone. So why not just make it a graphic novel? That's that's it's the same idea behind binging TV or watching yes. it one episode yeah. at a time. Yeah. So I'll be the I'll be the voice of uh, dissent here. The reason why they do the monthlies is because. Um, in an overly saturated media marketplace, then it would mean when your trade comes out, which you may have just spent two years working on, um, you have three months to have it make all of its money. And then it's going to disappear from the public consciousness unless but, it's the next Walking Dead. Like are people buying, it, like the single issue thing? Like The singles are, become a way for your, I'm, okay, so... If you're an indie, you're not making money really off your singles. No. What you're doing is you're making sure that every month is a reason for people to engage with the work, to talk about it, to see it, to promote it. Why don't movies it. do that? Why don't, well, I guess they do with they trailers. Do tra yeah. Yeah, they have trailers. <laughs> but here's exactly like the first five minutes. Here's the second five minutes. Here's a third five minutes of the next movie. Well, they do I, that sometimes if a movie is not gaining ground. They'll show you a scene from it to be yeah. like, see, trust us. It's good. <laughs> right. They're doing that with Star Wars. Yeah. That's funny. Um, yeah, it's, it's a, you know, I, I agree with, I think that obviously the digital is going to be a big part of it. People, more and more people are using devices and there's a whole conversation we should have one day about illegal comic book torrents. It's a it's huge. huge issue for comic books mm. and people who illegally don't download torrents and read them for free on their tablet. You know, a, a comic that gets, uh, two or 3,000, um, issue orders, like through the regular channels routinely is getting 90,000 to 150,000 people downloading the torrents of that book. So like the actual reading audience is enormous compared to the actual purchasing audience, which means many independent comic book people are living, you know, below the poverty line trying to make their work. But their comic what, is, but their comic everywhere. is everywhere. So then that to me says something needs to change about the way that it's being made available. Um, I don't know what that, that is. Um, it's a very, very tough position to be in for those people. I really, I don't have the solution, but we'll, we'll come up with it. I have someday. a prediction. I, I don't know how. Solution. Stop stealing things. Well, there's that too, yes. Um, I predict, and I predicted this like when, I'm surprised it's not out already, but the screen technology of the Kindle hmm. is that of which like you can read your Kindle in direct sunlight, right? Like it's not yeah, a it's reflective It's so much better, screen. yeah. It's really, really yeah. good. But. It's that gray tone though. Right? Yeah. They're going to crack CMYK onto that Kindle technology and it's going to look like the printed page like Eventually. completely different than the computer screens that we're used to seeing now hmm. it's going to be Kindle but full color and when that happens i think there's going to be a whole revolution of reading comics on a Kindle esque right. device cuz what's wearing you down is the blue light portion like the wavelength of blue light apparently i disagreeing yes. i actually don't know any of this science i am only blue recounting light, third hard on your eyes. party information yeah. right now but what i understand is that the blue light of it is what is making you not like reading it on your screen Oh, for sure. Right. Uh, yeah, but I also I also still like the feel of a page. <laughs> sure, my but you know, if you hold one of those newer Kindles, they feel, you know, they have a tactile feeling that's actually pleasant compared to a screen. So does tactile contact alter your perception of Phoenix? Oh yes. For humans, touch can connect you to an object in a very personal way, make it seem more real. That leap in screen technology is also going to be a huge change in how we well, read those, comics. I don't think those files, like when we're talking about torrented 
comics are usually PDFs, are they not? Are yep. they not? A, are they a specific type of file? No, PDFs. Yeah. CBR? Yeah. CBR, maybe. Comic book. But I, I suspect because Kindle, Amazon owns that technology and they own the rights to that, they will, they will be more difficult to, to torrent yeah. that type of file. Um, but then the, the question becomes the distribution model. Do we go for, is there, should there be like a monthly Netflix-like service where you just yeah. pay a monthly fee and just get access to all the comic books? And do the creators get money from that? Because I don't know that... Uh, it so works it's like for, Spotify? Yeah, yes. like Spotify, Spotify for comic books. loses money every year because yeah. the company itself believes that, believes in its model. Um, and they pay out to... How long before they get evil? Do you think? Well, that's what I um, wonder, right? Like, so what's happening <laughs> is that how many years of losing money are gonna you're gonna be able to continue they, that? Well, you know, the hope is that they want to be music, period, like yeah. global. They also the, want to be podcasting too. The yeah. global music market, they want to be themselves, and so in order to do that, they have to pay creatives. And but I mean, people also the criticism of that model is that if you're huge and famous, yes, you can make a living. If you're just middling, then your Spotify account is not paying your even your water it's the bill. same for everything it's the same for youtube and everything else yeah. you have to have a large audience in order to make money so shouldn't that type of resources give i mean um give lesser known artists access to a larger audience like you could be in a there used to be this thing on youtube called the featured page there might still be there but it used to be curated and um if you can get on that featured page then you, it was a big deal yeah you would get recognized and start getting and then way people more were views. buying their way onto that featured yeah page. exactly so that, yeah. that's that was the problem with it so if they could go back to that curation and actually have a have somebody pick like a featured artist of the week or something like that that might help see i still feel pretty strongly about our own model that we're doing now which is the same model that indie bands use which is you tour yeah and that's where your money is right. we tour yeah and we sell direct to the consumer um mm -hmm. our product and no we don't have forty thousand people uh buy our next book but we have three thousand people buy our next book but they've paid full price to us and without all the middlemen in the way, it's as if we sold 50,000 copies of Do you guys have any of your stuff available on digital at all? Uh, no. No. Oh, okay. Would you be considered doing that in the future? Uh, Probably. If somebody came to us and said, I'll do it all for you. <laughs> right? Like, I don't have time to right. do that. Yeah. Well, that, that would involve taking all your files and... Oh, that's not true. Some of my work, like all the work that I have through Renegade Arts is on Comixology. Okay. And... Um, I think there's a few other projects that I did that are also up on Comixology. Uh, the Moonshot, I think, is up on there, and I think this place will be up on Comixology. So that's untrue. I, I, well, I do have digital work, but it's not because I worked to get it there. It's because other larger, more organized publishers with more people did it. Yeah, it's hard if you're in, if you're on your own. That's right. It. I have one last this top fan, Eric Sat Satra. I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but he's a top fan. He comments. He's on a, a top fan. He's a top fan on my Facebook. Page. Awesome. So he has three questions as well, but I'm just going to pick one because we are running low on time. Yeah. Shout out to top fans. Um, so I want you to like, I want you to think about this and give like legit answer. Oh. Not like a foo-foo artsy answer. <laughs> what career would Hold you have? Hold on. Wait, back up. Foo-foo <laughs> artsy answer. You know what I'm talking about. Oh my God. That's, that hurts. <laughs> What career would you have seen yourself doing if you haven't, if you hadn't gone in an artistic direction? What would you be doing right now? Would you be a teacher? I would be president of the Fufu Corporation. Uh, well, I was a teacher, but I also worked. I don't know what the job title would be, but I know it would be working with 
uh, you'll be in a capacity as an educator. So like when I worked in group homes, as much as I made that joke about, you know, fighting for my life once in a while, it was actually one of the most gratifying experiences you can have is actually helping a person in a way that is not about your ego, but actually about their real needs. Um, that was my favorite thing about teaching. I would find a way to do that. It's one of the reasons why we do so many school visits is because we go there, you know, to try and give back a little bit and to answer questions really thought. It would be trying to help other people get the things they want out of life, which I do feel like I have a capacity for, you know, getting the crowbar up under them and giving them a little tilt to get them moving. I do think um, I would yeah. enjoy that as a job. What about you, Dan? If well, I'm not really art artistic, so... That's I, untrue. I'm, Stop I'm saying yet. that. I'm doing what I'm doing. I'm, I'm doing my, my my career job as an instructor is my is my dream job. And it's funny because I never imagined myself doing this in uh, in an, any capacity. That's a foo foo answer. Well, that, yeah, he's foo fooing, <laughs> but it's true. It's, it's absolutely true. Like, this job is the longest job I've ever had. I've never had a job as long as this one. Um, it, it's I never go in and I never have a day of like oh I don't want to do this like I used to always have those days never feel that way always excited to go into work and and uh, teach students and because it's the students come in you get fresh new faces every year and they, their passion for it keeps you going mm -hmm. right so that's why I love it so yeah that's the that's I'm I'm doing it I'm, I'm it, I can't see the but only if other... someone said to you let me ask yeah. you another question yeah. someone said to you Dan. We're going to pay, all your bills will be paid by this new radio program that you get to pitch. You're now a radio guy. I'm a Would radio you take guy. it? And yeah. Would you give up teaching to be on the radio full time? Oh, sure. If they could pay yeah. me as much. Yeah. yeah, 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 for sure. Interesting. Yeah. yeah radio, there's no way that radio could pay me as much as the college though. There's, it does not. Right. It's not going to happen. How do you uh, not, know? Not because, not because I make a ton of money, but because radio is not a very profitable uh, venture right but now. you would do it more and that's why I, you do I would, I would love to, I would love doing radio I think that would be a lot of fun and uh, you have other podcasts so you should shout them out here now media nerds and Star Wars nerds yeah yeah right that's, which that's, is those are fun just, those are we just do those for fun those are your fun outlets related yeah it's not to... it's not it's not for money or for for anything that other we just like to talk about Star Wars every week and uh this gives us an excuse to talk about Star Wars every week every other week yeah and so those I mean I really really love that kind of stuff and I really love this doing this with you guys um, which is why I do it. But it, yeah, as far as a, a career goes, I had another career. It was retail and it sucked. <laughs> I worked in retail for 10 years. I was in management. I could have stayed doing that for another yeah. 30 years, but I just was not satisfied. So I left. So I, I quit and I moved into something else. I went back to school and got a job in communications and that's where I found my passion. Right. So that's what you got to do. You have to do that. Yeah. Right. If you're not happy doing what you do, find, find something else. Yeah. And it's okay to do it. 10 years in or, or 20 years in to a career, right? Yeah. And we found our way, you know, I, I had a, I've mentioned before, I had a comic store, but I was a teacher. I had a movie distribution business. Like I've had a lot of different lives and hats. This is the one that I feel, uh, most genuinely reflects who I am. Um, but who I am now give yeah. that 10 years. And that could be a different exploration that I require. Mm -hmm. There was a time when I said I'll never leave teaching. Like I'll, it's just I love it too much. I could never leave teaching, um, and then events transpired to show me that there are other things that I want from life than that. So here I am doing those things. What events might transpire are not up to me. Yeah. Right. Would you still be working in a pig barn, <laughs> Justin? If you hadn't... I don't think so. <laughs> they had a high turnover rate for I'm good sure reason. They did. Yeah. Um. 
I mean, there's I, like I can think of other jobs. It's hard to think of another career because I mean that's that's not something that you can just jump. It's years of. But you're trained as a graphic designer. Could so you just work in an ad farm. I think that's an easy answer though. To like, I'd still be working in vector, right. you know, on a tablet just for graphic design instead of illustration. Just for Adidas or yeah. something. Um, I do like what the skill set that we have now. Um, things with trade shows. Yeah. I think we'd be, yeah. Oh, okay. That's okay. This, that leads into my final question that I meant to ask you guys about. This is local to Winnipeg, but people in the community know we have a new convention coming here. Oh, I had a year. question about that. Yeah. Um, what, what was your reaction? We haven't talked about it on the podcast yet. Yeah. So hooray. The, uh, that's uh, my reaction. That company we've, I, I don't think you've done any of their shows. Done, so they were in Montreal, Montreal and Ottawa. Is yeah. They have Montreal and Ottawa. Um, the, the okay, new artist, the dear listener doesn't know. Oh, yeah. I'll preface this dear listener. Dear listener, um, Winnipeg has recently suffered a loss. Its uh, long-running convention is no more, and there was a great hole in fandom that has now been filled by the organizers of the Montreal and Ottawa Comic Con. Also Quebec City. And Quebec City. Discuss. Um, I've been doing the Montreal show for almost like 10 years, like probably eight years in Montreal and seven years of the Ottawa show. Um, very well-run conventions, tons of programming, well-organized. Um, the the new Artist Alley coordinator came up to us both in Edmonton. She was attending the show and introduced herself and was very friendly. A delight. And, yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm very, very excited that this company is coming in and hosting a convention in our city. Yeah, I'm sad it's not locally run and owned. Yeah. I, I don't know that it can be. Uh, the, the, the level that these guys are at, you need, you need a larger company to be able to handle the yeah. uh, cost of bringing in the bigger names. But it's good that we have another big con. Uh, people thought I'd be really upset about it because of FanQuest, but no, I'm, I'm glad. No, I get to go to a con and not have to worry about anything. <laughs> but this is also go a, have fun. It's a high tide raises all boats kind of yes, scenario, right? Yes, that's right, yeah. A well-run con will increase people's interest in in pop culture-related yep. things, which helps FanQuest. And again, again, I'm sure we'll have a table there, at, for a FanQuest table there, promoting our event and that kind of stuff. So it's going to it's gonna be awesome. I'm really excited about it. Uh, the only issue I have is with the way they spell Comic-Con, but that's a nerdy grammar thing that I have. They, it's all one word. They put yeah. it all one word. They Come have on. to because... I know oh, they have to, but it's so stupid. I just, I just hate when we have to worry <laughs> about these, these things. Anyway. Well, dear listener, if you have been with us for all 100 episodes, um, you have our both surprise, but also our thanks... Um, and if you are just tuning in to listen, this is a show where we talk about how um, art and story gets made. We bring in guests, we break it apart, and we can't do it really unless you guys listen. So this is my heartfelt thank you for all of you who have tuned in, either for one episode or for many. Um, we're just trying to share some of the things we've done right and done wrong on the show. This has been Super Pulp Science where we want you to join the fight and make comics. <laughs>